Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Morning, mate. Morning, mate. How are you? I'm okay and welcome all to My Life, My Music with the Governor, Alan Hudson, as we take a trip down memory lane through chapter and verse. And in this episode, we remember 1971-72 season. So we'll call this Blue is the Colour, Uddy. Yeah, yeah. It's a good time, mate. It's a good time. Strangely enough, it's... um. It was a period. It was a, a period that changed my life, as we all know. We've yeah. spoken about it before on our shows, of uh, and with the photographs I just sent you. It was. Uh, I just had a phone call from Don Shanks and uh, told him I was doing this show with you, and he sent his regards. and uh, And I said, he said, well, it's great. He said all the Stoke supporters can listen to it, and uh, you know, and this, that, and the other. I said, yeah, but this is a different period. It's a different period of life. This is. This is not the uh, Britannia Stadium. This is uh, the the stadium that I fell in love with, which was a Victoria State, uh, Victoria Ground, which um, uh, I still believe to this day could have been saved and renovated, you know, and they could have still been enjoying their football there uh, instead of uh, the Britannia Stadium. They, uh, because the youngsters of today wouldn't know wouldn't know of that, you know. And 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 plus the fact I was in the Churchill Arms the other day in London, and I was talking about. Um, I told these people I was with Don Shanks and a chap called Colin Howe, a lovely man who's involved with QBR, and and a couple of other people there. And I was telling them what Tony Waddington done at the uh, Victoria Stadium for Stanley Matthews and. Uh, when he put his testimonial on, and they, one of them got it up on his phone, and he said it's unbelievable. He said they had Lev Yashin in goal, they had Di Stefano, they had Puskas, Jimmy Greaves, Johnny Haynes, you name them, and they all turned out for this game. And so the memory of the Victoria Ground for those people at my age and a little bit older, uh, you know, is, is just an incredible. It was a, it was a very very it. it it kind of sums up the change in football, which this took us into the dark, dark days. I think you know because we, I'm, and I'm sure Spurs fans feel the same. The old White Hart Lane, it will never be the same, you know. I don't think anything's ever the same. You move on, and I did notice that uh, on commentary, watching a Stoke game, I think it was Friday night. They were live on the TV against yeah. the Baggies, of course, yeah. and they've took the booth and end with them, so it won't be the same booth and end. But they still do call it the booth and end. So fair play to them. But back in the yeah. 1971-72 season, you just uh, you were still at Chelsea. You'd come back. Uh, you were still carrying uh, that injury that that kept you out of of Mexico, etc. Um, you still wasn't really 100% yourself. You've started it. It's, it's August 1971. And the first game of the season, you travel away to uh, the double winners, uh, Arsenal, and get a bit of a cold there, don't you, at, uh, at Ibury, one of your favourite grounds? 
Well, I wouldn't really call it a cold. It was uh, more of a thrashing. <laughs> um, that was a season that um, they were after they won the double. Yeah. I think, uh, and and we won the, the cup or something, and uh, they they, were, they paraded, but more paraded these trophies and all that, and uh, but uh, it it just goes to show. I think we spoke on the show before about how you know we look at today. They 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 you talk about these managers of today, how how incredible they are, and and you you think of the job that uh, Bertie Me and Don Howe done at Arsenal because mm-hmm. he. Had, 18 months before that, we went to Arsenal and we wiped the floor with them. That yeah. was my third season. Uh, and we beat them 3-0 at Highbury. And we could have, it could have been 6-7-8. And they all, many of that team played that wiped the floor with us. And it was only the, the takeover of Bertie Me and bringing in Don Howe um, that transformed them. Yeah. And uh, and they give us a hiding on that day. So it just goes to show that it's not, you know, it's uh, as we as we also always harp on that uh, it's all about management, and it, and it just shows that the uh, the physiotherapist took over and uh, become a, for me probably the greatest manager of Arsenal I've ever had. Forget Benga because you know he was a football man he he'd had an unbelievable background in france um but this chap just come out of the treatment room and took over the team and and, and what an effect he had well in the summer of uh, 1971 we had a, a couple of songs that were knocking round uh, the charts uh, top of the charts not three times by dawn chirpy chirpy cheap cheap and as the season started get it on by t-rex was uh, was number one now chirpy chirpy cheap cheap uh, i put out on the my life my music and, and alan hudson and, and your socials hi i'm alan hudson this is chirpy chirpy cheap cheap featuring peter osgood he'd done a great version of chirpy chirpy didn't he did that come well, from the cup final album that that you made al when you introduced us there it, yeah it came from the album the blue is the color yeah um and they, you know, we we never knew anything about Blues of Colour. We we all met up in the morning in, in this uh, uh, pizza bar. It's funny, strange enough, because the pubs weren't open early in the morning. And to get to the recording studio, and we had a few beers in the pizza bar. Then we took a couple of crates of beers into the recording studio and, and worked it from there. Um, and then, obviously, you know, there was some could sing, some couldn't, some wannabes, you know. And uh, But Oscar was always fancying himself. Whenever there was anything going, he was always the best at everything. And uh, and he made, a, he made a fantastic job of that. He had such fast, unbelievable confidence. And, uh, yeah, he knocked out a great tune there, Paul, didn't he? He certainly did. And there was a couple of others. It was Middle of the Road that, that released it. But around the same time, I was re- researching last night, Al, uh, Mac and Katie Kissoon also recorded And it was Lally Stott that actually done the original. So within the space of probably 12 months, there was about three or four different versions, including ours, that was knocking about of, um, of Chirpy Chirpy Cheap Cheap. But the, yeah, the, Oz, Oz, was, Oz was never brought out as a single like no, that. No, I know, but I tell you what, he, he was as good as, to be truthful. Well, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised <laughs> you're saying that. I mean, uh, when he started in the recording studio, we all kind of took a step back and had a look at each other and thought, what's all this about? We're in the presence of a real superstar here, you know. 
Um, and we always we always looked up to us for being the, the player he was. But it, it took a, a new meaning. And and the worst thing you could ever do to us is pay him a compliment, you know, because yeah. he was very good at doing that to himself. But um, you had to love the big fella for that because uh, if it weren't for him, we wouldn't have had the success we got we had, you know. And it, it's a pity that. Uh, the management and the, and the club itself didn't realise that, you know, because um, uh, they sold him when they sold the pair of us. You know, Ozzy was supposed to come with me in '74, and he reneged and went to Southampton. But uh, they got rid of probably, you know, we lost Jimmy Greaves the other week, yeah. probably the greatest goal scorer of all to, in a blue shirt. You know, the classiest, you know, for for a, a young kid of his age and coming through doing what he did and went on to do what he done and the saddest story. Uh, but Osgood, after after Greaser, I think it was Osgood. Absolutely. And he finished top scorer that season with 31. We're going to get into our first uh, track. We actually can't play the tracks because of copyright, but we do put a Spotify playlist to it and we talk about the tracks. Um, and it's rainy days and Mondays, and you alluded to how brilliant the management partnership of uh, Bertie Mee and Don Howe were. And... Bertie was a physio and then he went on to manage, of course. Dom was the coach. Well, Dave was the coach uh, to Tommy Doherty. Tommy had gone and Dave took over. But as Arsenal kicked on, Dave didn't really kick on. And when you says that Ozzy liked the compliments and we paid him the compliments, Dave Sexton never once complimented Ozzy on anything that he ever done for Chelsea, did he? No, it's a, it, was a, it was an amazing story, really, because... Um, Dave was actually Dave wasn't actually the coach with Tommy Dockett. I right, don't okay. think not at this particular time. Um, he might have been at one time. I think he might have been with Tommy Dockett, and, he, and then he went to Arsenal. He was a coach at Arsenal, and um, when Tommy left, the story goes: uh, the three or four of the Chelsea boys, before they picked a new manager, they 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 went over to Highbury and they they sat down with Dave and pleaded him to come back to Chelsea because they all got on well with him as a coach. Got you. Uh, and he took over the managerial job and and that's where you know although we had fantastic success the first two seasons it all went pear shaped. Yeah. He showed his. Uh, uh, in I, I don't say his inability uh, to 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 not be able to manage. He wasn't he wasn't a great man manager. Uh, he was very good coach. I'm not a, a you know I'm not a lover of coaching and everything else. But uh, I think if he had just just basically stuck to coaching, Chelsea would have went on to you know that we wouldn't have had the trouble we had, yeah. uh, and life would have turned out so differently. But having said that. I'm glad it turned out the way it did because uh, that photograph I sent you this morning changed my life. It did, and we'll get on to that later with the uh, the photograph with you, pretty much the closest person as you're turning away in sorrow. George Eastham and the Stoke boys are turning away in joy, and you didn't realise it at the time, but it, it was it's a very iconic picture that as they're going off, 
to pretty much George Graham retirement, the fella that's sulking because he's the closest to them when they scored that goal is a fella that's going to replace George Eastham in that number 10 shirt. And a young boy that was taken down to Arsenal to watch George Graham as part of his education. So football certainly has that romance and the songs have the romance. And there's a few romantic songs that we're going to get into. But I do want to just touch up upon uh, the rainy days and Mondays because there's a great story about how Dave used to smell your breath. And if he, he could smell alcohol, you were over the race course, boys. Well, it was um, yeah. We we kind of we, we kind of sussed it after once once or twice, and we we come in on a Monday, and we really did enjoy ourselves. The story the stories on a Monday morning were yeah, you know, you know, it, it, they would have be made fools and horses look stupid, you know. Stories what you know, especially Tommy Baldwin and Charlie Cook down the road arm wrestling with Richard Harris and Pete Rotor and. Um, People like that, you know, they, it, you know, it was, it was an ongoing, you know, it was like a, a movie really. And, and, but we used to get on a Monday while we're telling stories, they would be outside probably listening to these stories, what we'd done. And then they smell one or two breaths and it was in the, in the club van and over to Epsom, carted off over to Epsom down at you know, the race course and, uh, and the cross country. And, uh, it would done me a lot. It, it was, it was good in many ways because, uh, there's nothing worse if I was a coach and I was working with all these people that we couldn't see the ball. It would be there's no there's no point. So Dave would make a good a good good uh, decision there. So we just just run and ragged. But I I used to um, uh, when I watch Epsom races now on telly, I I cringe and think running that coming because I our finishing run was part down Tattenham Corner and and that long running and. Mate, you know when you got to the end of it, you you know you know you'd had a morning's training, and and them horses do it. You know it just shows you what how fantastic they are. You know, but they they hadn't been out the night before. But um, no, that 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 was uh, that was kind of another kind of um, uh, poke in the eye for for what was going on in them days. Um, you know, it just couldn't go on like that. You know. Um, you, you could, you know, they could, moving on to Stoke, our manager at Stoke, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't come near players on a Monday morning. Just get on with it, you know. He didn't, he didn't care what you did really, as long as you did it on a Saturday. That was all he was interested in. Mind you, it could have been worse, though. You could have been playing for Liverpool and Dave was manager of Liverpool and you've had to go over Aintree because there's jumps in, <laughs> on that race course. Well, yeah, I, I, I would have swerved them. I would have, I'd have, I'd have <laughs> said the sunlight's in my eyes or something, you know, like they do today. I dole them off for me, they say. Uh, our next track, Al, uh, If by Bread. I didn't realise until you sent it me last night that it's the same song. Um, so David Gates, uh, he, he wrote the song. But in 1975, Telly uh covered it. I thought as a kid it was the original, but it, but it wasn't. This was recorded in 1971 by Bread, and it's it's a great tune. It's a fantastic tune, and uh, and and I guess the essence of if while you were playing on that European uh, uh, tour of Chelsea in the Cup Winners' Cup, you know, could you be the first team that wins a European trophy for Chelsea? So very, uh, it still resonates today, doesn't it? That song to you. Well, yeah, it's it's all the football life. Life is all about ifs and buts, yeah. isn't it? You know, if if only if only you know being in the right place at the right time. And 
you know, when you listen to the song, it's, that's what it's all about. And I think we did another show we did. I, I spoke of my love for Jack Jones. And, yeah. and Jack Jones actually does a great rendition of If. It's, uh, he's one of my favourite songsters. So, you know, he also does it fantastic. But um, there was no, I, you know, that for all, for anyone that loves their music and... Uh, it's again. This is when we talk about pub talk or whatever. They when you get the arguments about who was the best singer, Sinatra or Bennett or I watched a film on Bobby Darin the other night. It was Michael Bublé's favourite. You know, women singing Streisand and people like that. But, uh, you must say that Karen Karen Carpenter had a most beautiful, beautiful voice. You know, she was just. You know, you she sings and you think she's your daughter. You know, it's um she's just and she's got an angelic voice and uh, I suppose we love her even more because of the sadness of uh, what happened to her. Yeah. You know, um, but her, her voice was just adorable, wasn't it? It certainly was, and we all carry those insecurities around with us in in our baggage, and you don't realise, you know, how vulnerable some were. And she was just a vulnerable and so talented person. And, and as you say, that voice, I mean, the Carpenters, today you can put a Carpenters record on and it, it just stands the test of time. It was just beautiful. It's like songbirds singing. It's just, just wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I mean, she was what you might call a perfectionist. I can imagine her listening back to her songs and, and going over them and, and stuff like that. She, but uh no, this is, she just had the most beautiful, beautiful voice. You know, it's, you know, I listen to Adele now. I mean, she she's in that in in that category, I suppose. But uh, Carpenter, as you say, I think the vulnerability of her as well. We we didn't really know. I was too young to know that she was going through yeah. bad times with with her illness, and um, but she, but she hung on in there, and you know. Um, it's a sad thing that we, you know, is it sad that we love them more for because of that, for what they did while going through such bad times, you know, personally? I think it's a case of we, with, um, you know, everybody, we're all human. We all want to be loved. And Karen seemed as though she didn't quite find that love and and I, I think it's in that that we see all of us our vulnerability and I think that that's one of the reasons well for me how you fall in love with with Karen Carpenter because she was just that that vulnerable person and you know you just want to boulder and cuddle her and just say everything's going to be okay and sadly for her it wasn't yeah, and I, I watched the film of it, and it was uh, it's, it it was disturb it was more disturbing than yeah, anything yeah. that um, uh, that people can be treated that way. Um, I suppose it could be said of people like you know in a different way, Amy Whitehouse or whatever. You know, yeah. such vast vast talent. What what incredible talent to be born with, and and yet it comes along with such baggage. You know. Yeah. Yeah, incredible. But what we're talking about the uh, European Cup Winners' Cup that you'd won the uh, the season before, your first defence uh, was against Janus Hatichat. I can't pronounce them. They're from Luxembourg, and um, and and the the story that that I always remember when I look at that uh, that game because you're beaten eight nil away and thirteen nil at home and they're the smallest team ever to play in that tournament and they got a throw and 
the the fella that was going to take the throw. So one arm guy, wasn't he? I, I'm not sure if he was their captain, yeah. but uh, I think it, yeah, he, he it, the ball for those who who never went to Stamford Bridge in them days. We uh, we had that infamous dog track, you know, yes. the greyhound track around the place, which was which really cost us winning the league. I I always think, you know, I think if we played in the modern in the Stamford Bridge of today, we would have won the league. I think that's worth ten points. Yeah, in the two point game. Um, and yeah, that night it was just a night of kind of mixed emotions because I think we spoke on the show before about you know how I thought that they were eleven heroes and and especially you know to have a captain with one arm is quite remarkable you know and although our boys you know I don't know we didn't really we were you know in them days players were like that you know you everything was been taking the Mickey but. Um, it wasn't that wasn't the case with uh, with these with these boys. You know, I think they had four brothers in the team. Uh, I would like to hear their side of the story, really. But I bet it's something else. I'd love to have gone out with them after, and and you know, if if in the modern game, if I was earning the kind of money they're earning today, and and I'd have treated all their team and took them out to dinner and. And ask them if they enjoyed themselves because it, it, no other team in from Luxembourg has ever done it. No, no, it was quite remarkable. And as I say, it was um, twenty-one it was, nil. It was, a, it was a record-breaking score in yeah, Europe. It yeah, it was. But I don't think when records are broken, I don't. Okay, I can remember coming back and Ozzy said, "I'm going to break the record," and he did. And uh, but it wouldn't be a record that I would really put up on my wall at all yeah. uh, because uh, it wouldn't be worthy and it wouldn't be I think it would be disrespectful to to the opposition yeah absolutely uh, A Horse With No Name is the uh, the next uh, song of choice Al, originally called Desert Song, was one of the greatest songs by a band who were pretty much unknown and you're absolutely spot on they were, I remember this fantastic tune as we opened a boutique in Reading for Dennis Allen of the famous Allen family and Reading didn't know what eat them, do you want to tell us what eat them? <laughs> well it was you know, Reading is Reading was a place. Um, I think the fact most famous was Robin Friday. Was it come out of Reading? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, <laughs> didn't he just? So he might have fit in with this night. We we went to open. Uh, Dennis Allen was a was a. I think he used to play at Reading, and uh, he was a very good friend of a very very good friend of mine, Alan Phillips, who was in the rag trade. Uh, and I was he was a big Chelsea fan and uh, a man I got very close to and he introduced us to Dennis and Dennis asked us to go to Reading and about 10 of us went down to open his shop for him and there's a hell of a lot of Chelsea supporters in Reading in them days yeah. and we opened we opened the store about two o'clock in the afternoon and we were still round the half past three the following morning uh, we had a party in his uh, in his uh, boutique, but it continued elsewhere. And uh, I don't think anyone that was about on that night would have known we was in town, you know, because it, you know we we that was what we was good at that Chelsea team. We 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 could leave our mark. <laughs> and didn't you just leave your mark, an indelible mark? And um, 
a wonderful, wonderful song. And, and you're right, they they really come out of nowhere. They were the song was was written by Dewey Bunnell, Bunnell or Bunnell, however you want to pronounce it. And he was he was only 19 at the time, and he was yeah. he was a teenage son of uh, of an American serviceman, and he got his. He, his family were going up to Yorkshire to live and he wanted to stay in London. So he stayed with one of his pals and he, in his words said, I was just absolutely bored out my school. And I just started writing this, this song about the imagery of things that I'd seen in America and that the horse with no name, he says, well, I didn't bother giving it a name. It was just a, an, an image an image of going through the desert with this horse of no name. It could have been anything. It could have been a camel. But there ain't many camels, are there, in America? And there's plenty of horses, of course. Well, it's um, it being such a vast country. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it, 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 it grabs the imagination straight away. I mean, the, the name of the band gets you straight away. But I, for a long time, I thought it was Crosby, Stills, Ness and Young. It yes. was always, it always, it was their kind of music. And um, I would imagine, I, I can imagine that group getting together with Crosby, Stills, Ness and Young and actually cutting a song um, because they're so alike. I mean, it's yes. um, in the early, especially in the early days when Graham Nash first uh, joined and then obviously, um, I think I put in my notes here that um, I watched the show that a few weeks ago with Neil Young on, and it was just, you know, it's got one of the greatest shows I've ever seen in in his in his hometown. And he went back to his old, they call him a bar, but the old pub, and there was a tiny little stage, and he had a few old hands up with him, and uh, he was just incredible incredible it was like a, it was like i wouldn't say leo say far better than leo say yeah. but um it was like a one-man band you know he's got the, he's got the mouth organ on hasn't he and he's got the um he's got the guitar and he just stands there and he's like a 10 10 man band on his own you know but his voice is quite unique it is unique, and, and he also did say that he, he didn't want to sound like Crosby, Stills and Nash, but he did have an uncanny uh, resemblance in, in the tone and, and everything. And if you didn't know that it was by America, you could think that it was from uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash, couldn't you? And, and he did say it was nothing to do with illicit stuff, neither. It was just uh, a song about an imagery of America and going through a desert with a horse of no name. So people can read into it what they like, but it wasn't anything stronger than drug, uh, sorry, than, uh, than drink. Yeah, well, it, and it, it's just a beautiful song yeah. as well. It's one of those that's. I first, I, I think it was one of the. I, I, I mentioned the Reading thing because I remember uh, in the early hours that came on and kind of sobered me up a lot. It was. Um, I thought, who's this? You know, it was quite daunting, haunting. You know, it was um, the most beautiful, and it's always stuck with me. And every time I listen to, it, I got a very good friend uh, called uh, Paul Churchill. Uh, Cherville, who lives in Reading, and uh, I went down to do a show for him one night. And uh, as soon as I reached Reading, it was all about a horse with no name, you know. And, and then we got the race course up the road, which is Newbury Race Course. So um, I've, I've backed a few horses at Newbury, and uh, I think they didn't have a name either, you know. <laughs> oh my God. Heart of Gold by Neil Young. 
leads us nicely into uh, our next track, uh, track, A Heart of Gold, by Neil Young. Uh, seriously good member of Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. A quite unique voice. And I watched him the other week in his hometown bar. It was uh, sensational. You watched him on a film in his hometown bar. But another song that he, he recorded as well, Only Love Can Break Your Heart. He, I mean, he nailed songs, didn't he? Uh, did did um, Neil Young, but so did that group that, that he was originally with as well. Yeah, yeah, they were... Um... They kind of come together, uh, you know, from all parts of the United States and obviously Graham Nash from Manchester. And there's an f- incredible story. It's a little bit like me going to Stoke, only it's a, the distance in travel was um, uh, he, he was a, he was a, the lead singer of the Hollies and they fell out with uh, Alan Clark. Or I told you that we got I got very drunk one day in, in London which is another story but um and graham went over there and uh, he was very disillusioned by all much like me leaving chelsea you know what am i going to do and he, he bumped into to crosby and crosby he spoke to crosby about you know he he said i think he's lost faith with me in my songwriting and he said uh, he says all you've got to do graham is whatever you do don't listen to anyone else just follow. he told him his work follow your heart and uh, and he said um, he changed his life and he left the holidays and he, he joined up with his band and he never looked back. And uh, obviously, uh, we uh, again on another one of our shows, we he did the song with Joni Mitchell, was it? I'm did not he, sure. He ended up he ended up with uh, one of the, the top singers. I think it might have been Joni yeah. Mitchell. And uh, they was out one day and they, they did out, you know, they... They, they bought they went out shopping one day and they sat down uh, and he she went in the kitchen and he put the flowers in the bar and, and he and she sat down at the piano and she she made the song our house yes um, right was, yeah and it was it was all through he bought us some flowers and you know he lit the fire and he said you know I put the logs on the fire where she put the uh, flowers in the vase in in the home we you know, and it was just unbelievable. And he was telling it, he was telling the viewers on telly one night that um, this is how that song came about. And you think how can something be so simple yet so beautiful, you know? But that's what they were. They, these people were, you know. It's like being a footballer. It's like. Um, you know, if you want to improve yourself and the, and the more you improve yourself and you go out on the field and you find that you get different experience, you know, you think, oh, I can't believe I did that. Yeah, but it's only it's only uh, improving yourself and playing with better players. And uh, it was like uh, Graham Nash moving up and singing with better folk, you know. Uh, it's only the same thing. Players can look very inferior with one team and then step up and they say, well, why didn't he play like that for us? They were obvious because he's playing with better players, you know, and and that's what Graham done. He found he found his level with Crosby, Stills and uh, with Nash and Stills and Young. And uh, they they would uh, in music that they would what I would call the dream team. Yeah. Without a doubt. 
you know, and and that song, Love Can Only Break, Love Can Only Break Your Heart, is just, you know, you really got, you really, I mean, I put it on, I was here the other morning, I was getting ready, I was, I've got this bad cold, and I was feeling, I've got this operation coming up, and I'm thinking in the back of my mind, I hope I'm not going to miss this operation through this, and, you know, getting me down a bit, and I, I put it, I put, I thought, I put Neil Young on, I put, and he, he lifted me. You lifted me out of my kind of, uh, and that is what music's all about—that inspiration, and that's what he was. And um, and his voice, he's got the most in- incredible voice. It's, it's just, uh, he, he's got one of those voices that, that if you did think karaoke or whatever, people try and take people off. You just couldn't, you couldn't get near it. You know. It's um, but what what an entertainer and what a what a man! I told by this what this film I watched when he was in his bar, you know everybody adored him, you know, the old folk, the young folk, and uh, you know it was. Uh, I do love that, but I'm a little bit of romanticist when it comes to the the American way of life. I I really love that, and I fell in love with that, and I I really didn't want to leave when I when I came back, you know. To listen to the rest of this podcast, please go to www.patreon.com forward slash srbmedia or just follow the links in the description. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.